We can't underestimate the power of an ingenious jingle to etch itself into our psyche even for decades. So that even now, sometimes at breakfast, we still in our house, kids, right, we sing about the unsinkable taste of Cheerios. And I don't know if we've seen that commercial actually, except for the YouTube version I showed them for years, but it still comes up in, in, our, in our mind. Or I still know how to spell the word baloney because my baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. And my baloney has a second name, it's M-A-Y-E-R. And Oscar Mayer, you know, has a way with B-O-L-O-G-N-A. And there you go. And even now, and especially after the documentary, The Last Dance, about Michael Jordan, I still sometimes think about that powerful Gatorade jingle. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You know, that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike, if I could be like Mike. And this, this jingle didn't just have power because of the advertising campaign and all the things that were poured in it, but Gatorade and all of Michael Jordan's partners were always trying to tap into, you know, the zeitgeist that he brought with him. If you're around then, you probably remember the unforgettable, it's got to be the shoes campaign with Nike or some of his other Coca-Cola, McDonald's campaigns. Gatorade and Nike and everybody else that hitched their financial wagon to Michael Jordan were trying to help all of us who wanted to be like Mike psychologically connect our admiration for him and our desire to be like him to whatever product they were selling. Even if we knew it was crazy then, we'd be willing to spend our money on Gatorade or, or on uh, any of those other products like Nike because if we ate like Mike and drank like Mike and dressed like Mike, we were sure we'd be able to play basketball a little bit more like Mike, right? But of course we knew that no matter how much money we spent on Michael Jordan endorsed products, <laughs> it didn't matter what we ate or drank or dressed or how we modeled ourselves like Mike, none of us was ever going to be Michael Jordan, right? None of us was ever, that's right, Elizabeth, none of us was ever going to be Michael Jordan. We weren't going to have his speed or quickness or jumping ability. We weren't going to have his sixth height, his God-given talent. And Michael Jordan would actually tell you that even if you did, it wouldn't matter. His talent, his, bi his biology, his God-given gifts, they were all an innate part of who he was. But Jordan would tell you that if he had stewarded, stewarded his life or career differently, uh, it would have all turned out a lot differently. He talked to a bunch of kids at one of his basketball camps about this once, highlighting the, the branding and the marketing image that shaped those commercials. And he, he said to them in those moments, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I made it look too easy. And it wasn't. Maybe I led you to believe that every shot I took was a game winner. Maybe I failed to let you see that it was my failures that drove me. Maybe I led you to believe it wasn't something that I worked for every day of my life. Or maybe, he said, you're just making excuses. Meaning, 
Maybe you've decided you're not going to work as hard as you can or practice as often as you can or prepare as much as you can because you believe that in the end it'll be all for nothing. That you'll never actually be able to rise higher than you currently are. But maybe he's thinking that the reason you'll never actually rise, maybe the reason that the things that have been placed in you will never be fully pulled out of you is because you chose not to give yourself to the work of making it happen. Not to say that every person or even every talented athlete has the ability to become Michael Jordan if they just work hard enough, but to say that we all have gifts within us. We all have abilities within us, possibilities within us, that will only be fully called out of us through our commitment to work at it. We all have possibility and potentiality to rise, and we all have possibility and potentiality to become the most mediocre versions of ourselves. It's there for all of us. It's there for every single human being who ever lived, including the fully divine, fully human Jesus of Nazareth. And I believe we see that right here in Luke's Gospel. We're told in the opening act of Jesus' public ministry that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, something Jesus claims for himself as he read the Isaiah scroll. And Jesus being Jesus and all, it might be tempting to assume that Jesus is always carrying this kind of power with him because he's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the Word made flesh. He's the Creator and the Redeemer of the universe. So of course we think that when Jesus walked into a room, He always came with the power of the Spirit like this. In fact, why would Luke even mention this? Why is it even necessary to name this? Shouldn't we just know or at least eventually figure out as we read the whole gospel that, that Jesus is Jesus and because he is, his spiritual prowess has always been much higher than six foot six, much more instinctual, much more biological than any other human being who has ever played the game of life? Shouldn't we just know right here, right now at the outset that the Jesus who would rise at the end of this gospel and rise again and again and again in the hearts and lives of people throughout history always came able to bring the power of resurrection into people's lives? Shouldn't we just assume that Jesus is playing on a different court than we are? That he didn't have to work at it? That it was always a lot easier for him than it will ever be for any of us, so why would we even try? I mean, shouldn't we? Wouldn't that make logical sense? Maybe that's right. Or maybe we're just making excuses. Or maybe, and perhaps more likely for many, we've just not considered seriously enough how committed Jesus must have been, how much blood, sweat, and tears he had to put in to bring out of him what was placed in him through the power of the Spirit. Luke helps us see all of this in his gospel, all the blood and sweat, and if you remember in the garden, the sweat as drops of blood, and if we look closely enough, we can see it. Right here at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, Luke helps us see both the preparation and the poignancy of what is happening in this moment as Jesus goes into His public ministry. The Spirit of the Lord 
has come upon Jesus at a particular time, in a particular way, for a particular purpose. And Jesus, the very human Jesus of Nazareth, was a full participant in making this happen. And this wasn't easy. To understand the full magnitude of what Luke is trying to show us here, we have to come to look at what happened before. Because when we do, and when we see it with fresh eyes, it's easy to see that the Spirit does not empower Jesus without cause or context. But that this moment rises from all that came before it. In Luke 2, 52, Luke tells us what he shows us every moment after this. Jesus spends years in thoughtful, prayerful preparation, growing in favor with God and others. And then in Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, just before he was baptized, he's affirmed, his vocation is affirmed by God, and we're told that he's filled with the Spirit, then in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. And then just after that, He's led by the Spirit into the desert for a season of formational testing. And that's where we find ourselves here at the beginning of Luke chapter 4. So, spiritual power didn't just come over Jesus in the synagogue. It came with Him. And powerfully worked through Him because He had waited and worked so powerfully with it over an extended period of time. In other words, when Jesus returned home to launch his public ministry, he came spiritually prepared from years of learning and living the Scriptures. Years of seeking and embracing the Holy Spirit in his life. Years of learning to live with and listen to the Spirit, to be empowered and supported by the Spirit To engage and call upon the Spirit so that whether he's having fish with friends or ministering in a local synagogue or being tested and tempted by the devil in the desert, he's working with the Spirit fully and the Spirit is working fully with him. And, And this is something I'm continuing to emphasize because... It's something that neither I nor the gospel writer wants you to miss. I'm often reminded of the famous British preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said, we should work as if it all depends on us, and we should pray as if it all depends on God. We should work as if it all depends on us, and we should pray as if it all depends on God, pointing us to the fact that life in the Spirit is reciprocal. That it's a partnership. Work as if it all depends on you. Pray as as if it all depends on God because it all does. And this reciprocal partnership with the Spirit is what I think we see here in the life of Jesus. The Spirit was able to work powerfully through Him because He worked purposefully with the Spirit. And, And I'm emphasizing this to you this morning mostly because I simply want you to see That this is what God wants for you. And what God wants for me too. And God has made a way for this to happen. In Romans chapter 8, Paul tells us that the same Spirit, now think about this, 
The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to our mortal bodies. And that's not a reference to something that just happens after we die. No, that is a reference to life that we have been given the opportunity to live in the Spirit even now. A life that most of us have said at some point or another that we actually want. Buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in newness of life. That is our confession when we choose to follow Christ. Paul echoes this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And no longer I live, but Christ lives within me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who's loved me and give Himself up for me. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God, Paul says in Colossians. Or in other words, you have so much potential in Christ. You have, each and every one of you, has much more potential in Jesus Christ than you're even aware of or might conceive of. Now, you're not Jesus, but don't go on thinking that. I'm not Jesus. You and I are different than Jesus. You don't have all the same gifts as Jesus. You don't have the same biological DNA as Jesus, but you do have the same spiritual DNA as Jesus. Think about that. You have been given the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The Spirit is now in you, in us. There is much more possibility and potentiality here than most of us can conceive of, but that possibility and potentiality that is in Christ, in us, is rooted in the gifts that have been placed in us that can still be brought out of us or they can lie dormant. And that can happen too. Michael Jordan was faced with a choice. So his dad wanted him to play baseball, always wanted him to be a professional baseball player. He kind of he toyed with that a little bit at one point during his career. And, and he has said in interviews that the best basketball player in his family growing up was not him. It was his older brother. But he loved basketball and he wanted to get better at basketball. He loved to play basketball. And there's this famous juncture in his life as a sophomore in high school that you've probably heard about before, where Michael Jordan tries out for the varsity basketball team and doesn't make it. So he's not only not the best basketball player in his family, he's far from the best basketball player in his school as a high school student. Which means, even if he got to play JV that year, when the varsity was playing, Michael Jordan wasn't even sitting on the bench. When the varsity was playing, Michael Jordan was in the stands. Now he could have responded to this in a lot of different ways. He could have chosen to give his effort to something else. He could have chosen to let himself go. He could have chosen a lot of different things, but he didn't. Instead, in an article about Michael Jordan's work ethic, Michael lists several things that supported his rise to fully realizing his abilities. And I think two of those 20 things are very important and relevant for us here today. 
So here's what he says. Number one, this is the most important thing, master the fundamentals. If you want to be great at anything, he says, first, master the fundamentals. I love what he said here. You can practice shooting eight hours a day, but if your technique is wrong, then all you become is very good at shooting the wrong way. So it's not just about practice, Tate. It's about practicing in the right ways, the right fundamentals. Get the fundamentals down, he says, and everything else will rise with it. Basketball is like anything else, he says. It mostly comes down to doing all of the basic stuff right. Once you've got the fundamentals down, you've got a solid foundation to build on. Jordan then warns that when you get away from the fundamentals, the bottom can fall out of your game, your schoolwork, your job, or anything else you're doing. How about your spiritual life? Master the fundamentals. And then number two, paired with that, he says, you must practice every single day, which I think speaks for itself. Master the fundamentals, then practice them every single day. And if commitment and preparation and determination are important in basketball, how much more important are they to you fully realizing your potential in Christ? If mastering the fundamentals and practicing every day are important to realizing your full potential in sports... How important are they to realizing your full potential in Christ? I would venture to say very important. Very important. It's a little bit what Angie was talking about in the children's moment with these practices. Master the fundamentals and then practice them. We see this in the life of Jesus. It's very important in his life. It's very important in your life and my life too. And not just important so that we can live the fullest and richest life possible in Christ. That is possible. That is important. But even more important so that we can become a significant resource for Jesus bringing about his vision in our world and in each and every single one of our lives too. Oh, and here's the vision. When Jesus felt like it was time to finally launch his earthly ministry, he defined it with these words. We heard them a moment ago. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's Jubilee. That was his mission. And by the way, that's our mission too. Or, or to even be more specific, that's your mission too. It was his mission, it's our mission, it's your mission. And so the question is, are you prepared for it? Are you working hard right now in your life to master the fundamentals of living life in the Spirit every single day? Are you practicing your faith on a daily basis in a way that is growing your relationship with God and maximizing the gifts and abilities God has given you? Are you doing that? It's really fascinating to think about this, I think. What could this church look like? What might liberty look like? How might the world around us and beyond us be impacted if this community of faith was filled with people who were fully dedicated to pursuing life 
lived in the power of the Spirit. Not just believing the right things. Not even just showing up for worship or Bible study or things like that. Not adhering to the right things. Not just claiming Christ as our Lord and our Savior. But what if every single member of this community was fully committed to living life in the power of the Spirit on a daily and weekly basis? How might that impact this world? There are a lot of incredible things that are continuing to happen in and through this community. And we have a lot of untapped potential. Just imagine it. And pray with me for God to help us realize it. Holy God, who is ever present, you are with us, among us, within us, moving in this space and every space. You have implanted the power that raised Jesus from the dead inside of us and you long to see it unlocked. God, we pray that you would do whatever possible right down to giving us the urge and the energy to unlock that in each and every one of us and all of us so that your will might be done and your kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven, right here and everywhere. For it's in the name of the resurrected Christ, the one who still comes in the power of the Spirit, that we pray. Amen.